reading this morning is from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, and we are going to read from verse 12 together, Romans chapter 8, uh, reading from verse 12. It's page 1134 in the Pew Bible. Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen. Uh, Baptists don't pay much attention to the church calendar. But I want to make mention of the fact that we are approaching Pentecost. Pentecost is, is next Sunday. And uh, that is the day, of course, you know, that we traditionally remember and celebrate the sending of the Spirit into the world, the sending of the Spirit into the church on the first day uh, of Pentecost. So it seems appropriate that we find ourselves in Romans chapter 8, looking at the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. And we established last week that all who are Christians, that is to say all who belong to Christ Jesus, have the Spirit of Christ within. So you'll see that in verse 9 of our passage, verse 9 of Romans 8. If anyone says, Paul does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So if we belong to Christ, we have the Spirit of Christ. It's not, uh, the Spirit of Christ is not given to some special select group within the Christian faith, within the Christian family. If we are believers in Christ Jesus, if we have received Christ Jesus, then the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God uh, dwells within us. And the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. So those who have this Spirit within us will 
inevitably and invariably strive for holiness. We will long to be holy because He is holy. We will work to become more pure, more holy, more godly. And sometimes we will fail, we will fall, we will get frustrated with ourselves. But nevertheless, our heart's desire will be to become more like the God we love, the God we serve, the God who has given so much to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the difference between the believer and the unbeliever is not that the believer doesn't sin or never sins and the unbeliever does. The difference is in our attitude to that sin. So the unbeliever can be quite at home, quite at peace with his or her sin. The unbeliever can actually uh, rejoice and celebrate and be proud and boast about their sin. But for the one who has come to faith in Christ, yes, we still stumble. Yes, we still wander away at times. Yes, we still sin. But our relationship to that sin is totally different because we hate that sin. We long to, to, to put that sin behind us or to use the language of the Bible, to put that sin to death within us and to grow in holiness as we continue to follow the Lord Jesus. So in our passage today, the Holy Spirit is given a different name or a different title. He is the Spirit of adoption. And I suppose a question for us this morning is simply this. What, what does that mean for us who have given our lives to Christ Jesus? What does it mean to say that the Spirit who dwells within us is the Spirit of adoption? Well, you might be tempted to say that all people are children of God. We are all God's children. I remember being uh, seated at a table in the heart of Glasgow University a number of years ago, many years ago, I suppose now, and we were having a discussion, uh, which means we were having a debate, which means we were having an argument, because that, that's basically what you do when you, when you study theology. It's four years of, of arguing with people or of reading about arguments that other people have had with other people. So we're having a debate around the table, and I, I don't even remember exactly what we were discussing or debating, but I do remember uh, one student sort of breaking in to say, well, we are all God's children. And he didn't mean just the people around that table or just theology students or just believers in Jesus. He meant we are all God's children. And I think the reason I remember it so vividly is because he said it in a way that made clear he was assuming that that at least is something that we could all agree on. So how would you have responded to that where you at that table all those years ago? Do you believe that 
to be true. Are we all God's children? Well, I think the answer to that is yes and no, but mainly no. In a sense, I suppose you could say that we are all God's children because God is the father of creation, isn't he? And we are all created beings. We have all been made by God. We all owe our existence. We all owe our lives to him. So given that he is the father of creation and we are created beings, we could in a sense say that we are all children of God. And that's the kind of logic and the kind of language that Paul uses as he preaches uh, to the pagans in Acts chapter 17. But it doesn't really address our actual relationship with God. That doesn't say that we have the kind of loving uh, relationship that children have with their fathers or with their parents. To say that God is the father of creation and we are created beings is not to say that we have this loving, thriving uh, relationship and enjoy loving, uh, living fellowship with God. And Paul actually says to the believers in Ephesus that before they knew Jesus, they were by nature children not of God, but children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, he says. So our old nature, our old sinful selves meant that we were children not of God, but children of wrath. Who are the children of God? The children of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. That's what our text says, isn't it? Verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, or some translations will say children of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, the the verse that we had up in the children's talk, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So those who are led by the Spirit of God, those who have placed their faith in the Son of God, they are those who are children of God. To all who received him, says John, speaking of the Lord Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So our first birth does not make us children of God, but when we come to faith in Christ Jesus, we are born again. We are born again into a new life, lived as children of God. So the language is that of adoption. Once we were not his children, now we are his children. We have been adopted into the family of God. Once he was not our father, now he is our father. 
because we have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. We have placed our hope and our faith in Him. We are living our lives, being led by the Spirit of God. And so He is our Father. What a wonderful gift. What a great and glorious gift to be able to call God Father. Sometimes we hear the gospel explained like this, this kind of illustration. We will all have heard it. I'm sure I have used it. That God is like a judge in a courtroom. And He is not like normal judges because He always judges justly. He sees everything. Nothing is hidden from Him. He understands everything correctly. Uh, And uh, we go into the courtroom as those who have done wrong. We know that we have done wrong. We know that we have committed a crime. We have committed uh, a sin. And we come before this judge knowing that we are guilty, expecting to receive the due penalty for our wrongdoing. And sure enough, the judge looks us in the eye. He looks down at the crimes that we have committed and he declares the sentence, which is death. And we are downcast as we think about the the punishment that we face. But we have nothing to say because it is the just judgment. We have committed the crime. And then to our amazement, the judge comes down from uh, his high and lofty seat and he takes the, the, the steps down to be where we are and he says that he loves us and that in love he is willing to take our place, to take our punishment, to set us free. Have you heard the, the, the gospel explained in those kinds of, of ways? I think that's, that's good as far as it goes, but it misses two key things out. Two very important things are not contained within that illustration of the good news of the gospel. And the first of those is this. The judge is not a neutral party. We have sinned against God. We have rebelled against the rightness of His rule and His reign. No matter how we have sinned, we may have sinned against other people, but all sin ultimately is against God because no matter what sins we commit, in each of them we are saying to God, I know better than you. So the judge in a courtroom is is neutral. He doesn't know the the person who is accused of the crime, and if he does know that person, he's not supposed to to be the judge in that case. But that's not the case. With God, we have sinned against Him. And the second thing that's missing from the illustration is what happens after we are forgiven. So you might think, if you listen to that illustration, that, that He takes our place, He takes our punishment, and then we leave the courtroom free free men or free women, free to do whatever we want, to go wherever we choose to go, but maybe we're not really sure because we thought we were facing this terrible punishment. Well, that's not the case at all. 
Because not only are we forgiven our sins, but having been forgiven our sins, we are brought into the family of God. He doesn't send us out of His royal uh, throne room or out of the court uh, as free men or free women to do what we please. No, having forgiven us, He adopts us into His family. He becomes our loving Heavenly Father. He welcomes us into His home. He delights in us. He cares for us as a faithful Father forever. And so we are able to address the the King of kings and Lord of lords, this great and glorious judge, the God who is holy and perfect and pure, the one who is almighty, we are able to address this God as Abba, Father. The Son and the Spirit work to bring us to Him as His children. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, so a human being like us, a representative, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. How did Jesus become our Redeemer? By living the life that we failed to live as a flesh and blood human being, born of a woman, and living the perfect life that we have failed to live as one under the law, obeying the law of God perfectly. Without spot, without blemish, He then died for us for our sin, taking our punishment on the cross. And the risen Christ ascended on high to send His Spirit into the world. What Spirit? The Spirit of adoption. And I hope we are able to see that this actually is the great goal of the gospel. The great goal of the gospel is not just that we would be forgiven, and then we kind of go on our merry way. The great goal of the gospel is that our relationship with God would be changed, that we would be brought into the fold, into the family of God, that we would come to know Him as Father. That's the goal of the gospel, that we would dwell forever with God as Father. It's not just forgiveness. It's not just eternal life. But it is adoption into the family of God. Think of the angels living forever, dwelling forever in the presence of God. They have no sin. They they are without sin. They are forever in the presence of this great and glorious God, praising Him, serving Him, honoring Him. 
And yet they are unable to say that they are members of his family. They are unable to address him as Abba, Father. This great privilege belongs to those who have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Spurgeon says, Abba, Father, he that can say that, and we might add, she that can say that, has uttered better music than cherubim or seraphim can reach. Abba, Father, there is heaven in the depth of that word, Father. There is all that I need, all that I can ask, all that my necessities can demand, all that my wishes can contrive, Father. I have all in all to all eternity when I can call God my Father, he says. The very love that God the Father lavishes on God the Son, He lavishes on us. Because where are we? We are in Christ. And as those who are in Christ, we are co-heirs with Christ. Verse 17. So He will lavish this love on us eternally. Not because we have earned it, but because Christ has earned it for us and we are in Him. Not because we deserve it, but because Jesus deserves it. And we are in Christ Jesus. The love of Jesus, that He would be willing not to hold this great blessing to Himself, but to give it to all who will simply trust in Him with the faith of a little child. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch his treasure. I think I've said before, I worked in Wesley Owen for a time, and there was a small clothing section for a time in the shop, and there was this t-shirt that said, I am the wretch the song refers to. <laughs> well, we don't need to wear the t-shirt, but we need to remember the truth of that. We are the wretch that the song refers to. Those who belong to Christ are not just forgiven we are adopted. We are loved with a love that endures forever. We are treasured by Him as His children, as the apple of His eye for all eternity. That should excite us. What else in this life, what else in this world could possibly hope to match that? I wonder if you've ever, ever been excited at meeting a celebrity. Uh, Deborah's mum and dad, I assume, were at a wedding a number of years ago, and I'll sp- I won't share the longer version of this story, but they met Simon Kill. Imagine that, imagine meeting Simon Kill. I remember as a young boy, I, I used to meet my favorite footballers. I used to go along with my wee, bro- wee brother Scott to where they trained at that time. And we would get our pictures taken, or our autograph taken. I have my autograph, I have my picture taken, rather, with Brian Loudrop. 
You impressed? Brian, what are you doing? I remember the sense of awe. You know, for, for seven or eight seconds, Brian Loudrup noticed me. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. What a story to tell my friends at school. Well, how amazing to think that God himself knows us. God knows you by name. He loves you as his child. And he will love you with that perfect fatherly love, not for six or seven seconds, but for all eternity. I wonder how different our lives would look where we are to allow that truth that I'm sure the vast majority of us here this morning believe, to allow that truth to sink down deep into our minds and into our hearts and into our lives. A spring in our step, maybe, uh, a smile on our face, a song on our lips. What difference would it make? Maybe our prayer meetings would be a wee bit fuller. Maybe our witness would be a wee bit louder. Maybe our fears and our worries and our anxieties would be a wee bit quieter. Were we to allow that great and glorious truth to sink down deep, that God is our Father, that He is with us and for us every single step of the way, that He will never leave us nor forsake us. We have nothing to fear if we know God as Father, if the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, always-good God is our Father, then we have nothing that we need fear in life and in death. He will show Himself to be faithful. We are no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters of the King. We are co-heirs with Christ, looking forward to a great and glorious future with Him. We are princes and princesses, we might say, spiritually speaking, looking forward to something better, not because we have earned it. It's not a wage. It's an inheritance. We look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. We look forward to no more sickness, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more separation, because there will be no more sin. We look forward to full fellowship, with our Heavenly Father forever. The reason that we feel inside that there is something wrong with this world in which we live is because we are looking, we are longing for a better world. And that world is not a fairy tale. That world is the world which is to come for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, as Jesus comes again to make all things new. The best is yet to be for us in Him, and it will not be long. We can say with the Apostle Paul, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And even in the here and now, in this imperfect world, as imperfect people, we are able to affirm that God is here with us. He is not an absent father. He is not a distant dad. He has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and by him we can cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies to our spirit, verse 16, that we are God's 
children. So there is an experiential dimension to this. We have to experience this within. It's not just up here, but it ought to be in here too. There is an expectation that the Spirit of God will assure us of who we are and that He will breathe life into our relationship and our fellowship with God. Maybe that feels very remote to you today. Well, all I would say is don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for a relationship with God that feels distant and cold. Read His Word, pray, obey, and then plead with God that this experience would be your experience, that the Spirit Himself would testify with your spirit that you are a child of God. Look for for deep roots, for abundant fruits, for a living and healthy and vibrant and vital relationship with Him. Jesus has paid the price. His sacrifice is more than sufficient to secure that kind of relationship for you with God. Press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. How wonderful to know God as Father, to know Jesus as Lord, and to know the spirit of adoption, to know know His presence and His power ministering to our hearts and our minds as we continue to follow Jesus. So let's stand together and to rejoice in the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord, to rejoice in what God through Christ has done for us as we sing, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, I am fathered by the true and living God.